This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, The Jimmy Dore Show, Counterspin, The Majority Report, This Week in Blackness, and The David Pakman Show. And a quick note that, you know, after the heaviness of the recent episodes, I thought it'd be nice to just relax and make fun of the media. Although, secretly, this topic also makes me sort of silently cry inside. Chris Matthews was on Aura TV talking with Larry King, and the topic of hosts having pressure put on them by their network to sort of cater ideologically to the audience came up. Now, he originally wanted to talk about uh, Megyn Kelly, which we're going to get to, uh, but eventually the question was flipped around on him, and he might have revealed something that uh, we've speculated on here ourselves. So let's watch Chris Matthews. And I'm watching Fox. Will, uh, what's it, Megyn Kelly be able to stay in the middle? Or will she move we'll over? See. Will she move over? Will she have to move over them? I look at Greta. Greta was more in the center left. Now she's moved over. There's a lot of group pressure in those places, in any place you is want. There is, um, is, uh, oh, I feel it. I think it's there. I mean, I think you know your audience. You know who you're talking to. I always know who I'm talking to. So, not just at Fox News, he admits at MSNBC they also feel that pressure. Yeah. So I'm amused by several parts of the story. First of all, um, like that Megyn Kelly's in the middle. I know. Oh, God. I know. Where did that come from? It yeah. comes from the ta- it, it putting Carl Rove in his place on election night. That's it. That's mm-hmm. largely it. And standing up for uh, d- working women. Like, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. like how about, about whether women can earn more than men and whether that's demasculating. demasculating yeah. So, excuse me. so um, it, it, on Fox News, if you're not insane... Well, you're kind of in the center. Or if you're not insane, <laughs> twice. If you, you're in the center, right. Yeah. You're, you're in the center of sanity and insanity. Right. Right, right in the middle. Right, right in the yeah. middle. Uh, the second thing I was amused by is I love Larry King, and he's 98, you know, and he's not literally. Like, you think maybe he might literally be 98. Um, okay. Not a great hair, though. Yeah. yeah. And he, but what I love about him is, 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 as my nephew said, like, he just keeps chopping. Like yeah, he's on, a, yeah, he's on AOR TV or whatever that is, and you know, and so, and he's chopping. He's like, he's doing interviews. He's in there, right? Yeah. And but like, and I know we took a terrible snippet there for him, but it was like, <laughs> and Chris like, I got it, okay. And then <laughs> he answers the question. Chris uh, was a bit slurry there too. I know. Well, but he's always he's he talks fast. I don't want to like yeah. it like that. So yeah. now the third thing I'm amused by is that we're going to Chris Matthews for what happens at MSNBC. I was at MSNBC. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, so no, no, no. Let, let the masters <laughs> explain. If anything, doesn't this interview give you a little bit of justice? Because regardless yeah. of how much uh, credibility you have and what you went through, I mean, now you have someone who currently works for MSNBC who's basically reinforcing what you had previously said. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, I don't want to be a dick, but get ready. Like, but what are we, I mean... No shit. I mean, yeah. what, are we, what was revealed here? He doesn't say, he didn't actually say what you said, and which I take uh, everyone who's smart knows is true, but that he, there's pressure to do what the White House says, it's just to be more partisan. It's a liberal network. Every primetime host is liberal. You know, there's degrees of whether they're, you know, true progressives or whether they'll, whether they'll get angry at Obama from the left, but I mean... It's a liberal network, and of course, mm-hmm. they wouldn't, you wouldn't, there's pressure, you wouldn't get hired unless you were. So, well, but, but that's interesting. Let me address both those things you guys brought up. Now, Anna, you're right. I mean, like, so some people, because I left in a, you know, interesting way, uh, will say, oh, well, you know, maybe he's bitter or something like that, and we'll reduce my credibility. And I wasn't there as long as Chris Matthews has been there, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, to have somebody else confirm it is very relevant, right? Uh, number two, to Ben's point, Ben, like, what's interesting about it is, the anchors know that 
and then they start to bend, right? And they bend in that direction. I, I don't know if they bend in a direction they were already inclined towards, or sometimes they bend in a direction they weren't already inclined towards. Like Greta Van Susteren, I feel like if she was on MSNBC, she would have bent the other way. Mm -hmm. She's on Fox News, she bends to the right. So I don't know what Chris Matthews' real opinions are. Yeah. I know he loves politics. I know he also loves the establishment, like whoever's in power. We've covered it for decades now. I mean, literally, right? Mm -hmm. And when he was towel snappy with Bush, and he loved Bush, and now all of a sudden he loves Obama. Mount Rushmore. Yeah, he thought Bush yeah. should go on Mount Rushmore if they held elections in Iraq, and they held elections in Iraq, right? Yeah. So and now know, it's paradise. So, and, and so it's fascinating. He was always against the war. Yeah, always <laughs> against the war, except for the times he was for it. Uh, so it's fascinating to see him say and admit, hey, you know what? Yeah, we bend. Yeah, but also, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, so he sort of admits that there's this pressure to be partisan, and it's not entirely clear there. I mean, I guess they're implying sort of a party-based thing, but I think he's talking more ideological there. Right, that's why, um, it, that's why it didn't resonate at all. Exactly, but the, the, the thing is that they're having this conversation, and that's and the, the big headlines are, oh my God, he's revealing this stuff. But he's not talking about the actual biases that matter. Like, like you said, like the bias towards the establishment, towards um, whenever it's like a... A group on the left, the equivalent of the Tea Party, comes up. Wall, uh, Occupy Wall Street and things like that. Like, oh no, don't worry about them. Like, there are much more important biases than, oh God, we got to argue about Democrats and Republicans. I, I just, I feel like that that, and, and I, you know, I don't really know Aura TV, but that Larry King is it's his network. Right, actually, is, that he is the re representative of being like like fourteen years too late. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> the, like, you know, he's like cable news isn't what it was when I started. Now we got. It seems like there's people from the right, and people from the left, and they just argue. So they should have had this conversation right. during the first crossfire. Right. I mean, like, yeah, that's right, Larry. That, that, that's right. MSNBC yeah. is a liberal network. Fox is a conservative network. But they're not equal, by the way. But that's not a distinction that don't not going to be prepared for anybody to make. Yeah. Um, just going back to what Chris Matthews said in that clip, there was this one tiny little part where he said, "I know my audience," and that actually mm, yeah. that was really really. Um, apparent to me because the network might push a certain bias but at some point it, it changes who your audience is and it kind of like makes your audience very concrete in what their beliefs are so you are forced to cater to them even if you disagree with whatever viewpoint they're in favor of you don't want to go against what your audience wants to hear so they have a very pro Obama audience anyone yeah. who says anything against it will experience a drop in their ratings that's just the way it works so th that's a great point Anna. so a lot of this is not just management it's the audience right and so you get two types of signals when you're at a cable network like MSNBC. One is from management, hey, take it easy there, okay, and remember who the home team is, you'll get things like that that are said, right? And then the second uh, notes you get is from your audience. So when you, when I went against Obama, my ratings would drop. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't care. I would say, look, I want to do an interesting, exciting, honest show, and I think in the long run the audience will be there. And I think I was proven right in the last quarter. We were incredibly strong, right? But in the short term, when you see them dip, Every anchor panics. I mean, look, what's mm. fascinating is that inside the building, everybody looks at the ratings. So if you had a good night the night before, people literally high-five you in the hallways. Yeah. It's like, hey, how you doing? Hey, you girl, what's up? And if you, we should start doing and if you that. had a bad night, everybody's like, I look oh, away. like yeah. you know, it's like hurting their eyes. Jenga, we were talking about people who day trade earlier today. And like, like, what MS, like the cable news world, they're like day traders. Like they're, and and yeah. they're like bad day traders. Like you got to, if you make an investment, it's for the long haul. You got to be able to withstand the fluctuations, mm -hmm. and they are not able to withstand the fluctuations. Yep.
So Jamie Dimon. So uh, Jamie Dimon, he met with regulators last week to negotiate a settlement for selling "quote unquote" shoddy mortgage securities. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that means toxic debt. Hmm. He sold toxic debt to unsuspecting customers. Sure. I'm pretty sure that's what that means. Shoddy mortgage securities, and he got he got an 11 billion dollar settlement. Now that's the largest fine ever on a financial institution in history ever. Okay. So it's uh, he's number one. He's number he is number one. <laughs> so here we see Mar- uh, Maria Bartiromo uh, mood lighting as the public relations spokesperson for Jamie Dimon, and uh, <laughs> this this clip pretty much proves beyond any doubt that these financial reporters never leave their bubble and never talk to another person. That uh, besides the people they are supposed to be investigating, they never. So here we go. So listen to how Maria Bartofuco introduces. <laughs> she introduces this. So Jamie Dimon just was revealed he had to pay the largest fine in the history of fines. So that means you're doing illegal stuff, financially illegal stuff, and making lots of money off it. So if you're paying eleven billion dollar fine, imagine how much money they made off their illegality. So here we go. Ready here. Uh, here we uh, are talking about this. Alex, uh, to you first. Legal problems aside, J.P. Morgan remains one of the best, if not the best, performing major bank in the world. Okay, I'm going to play that for you wow. one more time. I'm going to play this for you one more time, and, and I want to see if you can catch the important phrase here that she throws oh, away. Jimmy, uh, yes. You should point out that the person she's talking to is Alex Perrine from Salon. Okay. Yes, I should point that out. So Alex Perrine wrote an article in Salon. Okay, so he wrote a thing that said that J.P. Morgan should step down because of all these illegal legal things. <laughs> He's been Dimon should, should step down. What did Jamie, I say? Uh, J.P. Morgan. Yeah, I said Jamie Dimon. I, I mean, who J- was dead? I think. I mean, J.P. Morgan. I think J.P. Morgan's yeah. dead. But I think. Uh, but he. But uh, I loved about Mash. The point is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so here, so here he is. So Alex Perrine is on with all these CNBC people, and they're looking at him like a Martian just shit him out of an egg. Mm-hmm. That's how they're looking at this guy, right? And so, so let's see if you can if you can catch the thing she throws away. That's very important. Alex, uh, to you first. Legal problems aside, J.P. Morgan remains. Legal problems, problems aside, <laughs> if it were only that easy. Legal problems aside, mm-hmm. that's like saying, uh, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy <laughs> right. the play? Right. Hey, the guy who's in charge of the biggest financial entity in the world just got handed the biggest fine for doing illegal financial stuff in the world. Ignore that. Let's talk about this. <laughs> and what does she want to talk about? One of the best, if not the best, performing major bank in the world today. You believe the leader of that bank should, should step down? I think. Oh my God! <laughs> in the world today. She just said. That if it's illegal, it's immaterial as long as the bottom line is they're making money. Is that they're making money. That so, is so unbelievable. Robert, so did you understand She's immoral, Robert? Did you understand that the CEO of the infant formula 
maker company got caught putting poison in the formula. But do you know how much money they made last year? <laughs> <laughs> the poison was a jackpot for us. It was a gold mine. Are you kidding me? <laughs> hey, Bernie Madoff was doing great until he wasn't. This is what she would say about Bernie Madoff. Mm -hmm. You steal the money he made for those people 15% a year. <laughs> that this is what she would be saying. Yes. Okay. But what's so, what's amazing about that is that she doesn't you you imagine people like this think these things. You never think that they would uh, you think that they wouldn't they would say know better it. than to say it aloud. Right. Yes. Right. She she has it. no idea what she's saying. She is has wrong. no idea that. Yeah. No exactly. idea what exactly. she's saying. She because no, she's never out of that bubble. Exactly. I think right. she and in Chris world, Matthews in the, in go to the same school. Yes. In the world, in the world she lives in, what she's saying isn't wrong. Yes. In the world she lives in, what she's saying is not wrong. She, she goes. J.P. Morgan Chase remains one of the best performing banks in the world. Yeah. And the Sopranos are the number one earning families in the La Cosa, <laughs> La Cosa Nostra. <laughs> so why should we put him in jail? You know how much money Tony Soprano made off those uh, union contracts? Mm. What she's implying, in a way, is that everybody breaks the law. Yes. So the only point is how much money you're making. So it's no big deal if someone's breaking the law. Yes. Everybody does it. Yes. See, in the thir in the thirties, she would have been. Have you seen the uh, balance sheets of the Nazi Party? <laughs> They're doing great. Why criticize them? You believe the leader of that bank should should step down? I think anytime you're looking at the greatest fine in the history of <laughs> Wall Street regulation, it's really worth asking: Is this guy should this guy stay in his job? In any other industry, I can't think of another industry. If he managed a restaurant and it got the biggest health department fine in the history of restaurants, no one would be like, "Yeah, but the restaurant's making a lot of money. There's only a little bit of poison in the food." <laughs> so who who has the qualifications better? than Jamie Dimon to run J.P. Morgan, then, in your view. I, I, so, so then, did you hear that question, Frank? What a bull <laughs> question. Yeah. Hey, who has, so who could, who should run? If you, if you don't want him to run, who else should run? Anybody could run a bank. That, Somebody uh, who hasn't broken the law. Yeah. So, that, that alone would be better. Yes. And by the way, ba bank, the bank, Frank, the banking system is rigged, is it not? Don't the banks get free money from the Fed called quantitative easing? Don't they give Wall Street $85 billion a month for free? How do you go? How do you not return a profit when you're getting eighty-five billion dollars for free? I could run that. Where bank. do I sign up for that? It's not like you have to find some incredibly uh, skilled person because the people in this industry screw up on a major scale and they still get to keep their job. Yes, yes. Well, first of all, they get to crash the economy, right? And then yeah. the people in charge of warning us, the reporters, that this is happening, they also missed it. They all keep their jobs. They all hang out. They all are together still. They on they look like at Alex Perrine like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Here he's they go on. Let's go on. I mean, I think the bank might be too big and too complicated and at this point too corrupt for anyone to run. But we could just give almost anyone else a shot and see if they could do better. So it's called it's not called too big to fail for no reason. If it's if it's too big to fail, then the only thing left to do is succeed. Am I wrong? Mm -hmm. That's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. OK, here we go. Corrupt is um, a bit hyperbolic, perhaps. He goes, corrupt is a bit <laughs> hyperbolic. He just paid the biggest fine in the history of fines. Corrupt is a little hyperbolic. Duff, you agree or, or disagree? Uh, absolutely not. It's so now she goes, so now they throw it to this guy who's... Um, uh, from Fortune Magazine. I forget who he is, but he's from Fortune Magazine. But he's, he's evidently a grown man named Duff. Duff. Yes. So okay. here we go. Uh, he obviously got attention with this article. He got your attention. It's preposterous. The stock's uh, touching a 10-year high. It's a cash-generating machine. 
sure they're, uh, they're, they've had their regulatory issues, but he's looking to settle them expeditiously at this point, which is everything you want out of a CEO. It's an absurd suggestion. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. For, for, there's a shock, huh, Steph, to see a contributing editor of Fortune magazine defend Jamie Dimon. That's what's called the Mutual Douchebag Admiration Society. <laughs> He, I like how he says that this too-big-to-fail bank is a cash cow, and since Jamie Dimon has offered to pay a fine to cover up its illegal business practices, part of which almost brought down the government, so what else do you want? What else do you want? He's going to pay a fine for it. I don't know. How about someone goes to jail for committing crimes and fraud just once on Wall right, Street? What's to stop anyone else from doing the same thing if they know... They just have to pay a fine with the incredible profits they're making. Yeah, but Jamie's going to yeah. do it expeditiously. So isn't that going to make everything better? Yes. Right. Do you understand the ramifications? If you fired every corrupt banker tomorrow, Wall Street would be run by parking garage attendants. <laughs> so the only That's right. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Any CEO can afford to pay $11 billion. Just to solve some regulatory glitches is too important to obey laws. Am I right? I just love his tone is so dismissive. Yes. You People's know, lives were destroyed. Five years out from the worst financial collapse since the Great Depression, caused by bankers and regulators, and this guy has the nerve to act like people don't have a reasonable argument against them. Can I, can I, can I just mm -hmm. make this point, too? Jamie Dimon has already overseen a bank that has had to pay $16 billion in fines before this $11 billion fine. In the last three years, they've racked up $16 billion in fine. This, plus with this week's $11 billion fine. Even before this last fine, Frank, one out of every $3 that J.P. Morgan Chase made in profit was going to pay a fine. One out of every three dollars they made in profit was going to pay a fine. And no one cares. And no one cares. Yeah, well, it's like what Alex Perrine said in any other industry. There's no way you would get to keep your job. Yes, in any other industry. So here, let's look, go a little bit more. Mm, drug dealing. A little bit more. So should we talk about the financial strength of J.P. Morgan uh, at this point? I mean, even with all of these losses, the company continues to churn out, you know, tens of billions of dollars in earnings and hundreds of billions of dollars in revenue. Um, how do you criticize that? Uh, well, I think a lot of their earnings and revenue we've seen have come from really shady dealings that they've been... Oh, come on. They have. <laughs> Did you hear her? Oh, come on. Oh, come on. J.D. dealings with a Wall Street bank. Come on. He's going to pay the fine. Come what on. What evidence do you have except all the evidence there is already? Okay, here we go. Name, <laughs> name three shady dealings. Right. Oh, name name three shady God. dealings. With pleasure. Um, bribery in China, hiring nep uh, based on nepotism. You shouldn't things that you can't prove. Well, the uh, nepotism... She goes, you shouldn't say things you can't prove. It's, uh, not, it's already proved. Hiring the children of prominent Chinese officials is not uh, something I just Have made up. Have they been charged? They haven't uh, been charged, but it's a fact. It's in the news. Everyone knows fact? about it. The fact, the, that fact? the fact that they hired the children of prominent party officials, and there's a spreadsheet on which it's connected to deals they were trying to do in China. H hiring you know, connected like people is involved. I things that are not actual fact on this program. Because anyone I, can I, just I, Google I really China and J.P. Morgan that. and see this. I mean, it's not. It's, it was in the New York Times. It's not. A, oh, the New York Times. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a reporter. That rag. That's a reporter at CNBC. 
Unbelievable. Going all, trying to defame the New York Times. What have they ever done? I, I think it's interesting she doesn't know what a fact is. Yes. What's a fact? What's a fact? And so, so yes, so J.P. Morgan's dealings in China is a fact that has been not only reported by the New York Times, Maria, but also by the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg. But Maria, who is a financial reporter, knows nothing about it and reflexively denies it when she's made aware of it. I was waiting for her to just go, na 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 I can't hear you. And so the people that watch this show, watch her show, isn't it transparent what's going on? You would think. She seems uh, she seems totally phony. Because, yeah, and Maria gets upset because if J.P. Morgan is that horribly corrupt, she could be arrested for voluntary rationalizing. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a crime if it isn't. And, and, and claiming not to know about J.P. Morgan's China scandal means Maria is either a liar or incompetent. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, why can't she be both? <laughs> There's room. There's room. Okay, so let's move on. Let's move on. we got to move on. So here they reveal that they never get out of the bubble. And cannot, for the life of them, understand why Jamie Dimon should step down from this criminal enterprise he just negotiated the biggest fine in history for. And then they just lie at the end. So let's listen to this. Here we go. You know, it's it's never been a crime to hire the children of connected people. And no, I'm, it's, I'm not, it's not sure a crime it's to do so. It's just Jamie's shady. Done it. But the point, what, I, I, part of the point Maria makes when she when she cites the performance of the bank, I mean, shareholders have no reason to want this guy to leave. No, I mean, stock is eighteen percent year to date. He's considered to be one of the most respected CEOs on the street, sometimes in some forms, even mentioned as a possible Treasury Secretary somewhere down the line Good if he grief. so chooses and is so asked. I it's mean, really why would shareholders president. want this guy to go? I think th- see, the, see, the lesson here is it's not enough to just be corrupt. You have to be too corrupt to fail. <laughs> and then, right. you'll be, then you'll be defended by every a-hole on CNBC. That's how yes. it works. There you go. Here we go. He's now here. We got more to say because he's a PR nightmare for the bank. If you look outside of the financial media, if you look outside of CNBC, like every time J.P. Morgan has been in the headlines for the last year, it's been for terrible news. It's been bad PR for the bank. And I think maybe there is a bubble you can be in in which you never hear anything negative about the man and you hear he's the smartest guy on Wall Street. But like out in the rest of the world, it's nothing but bad PR from Diamond and for J.P. Morgan. Jeff, what about that? I mean, it feels... Jeff, what about that? What about... not going to have him back on that show. No, though. never. Like, no. you know, this, this... It feels a little like a witch hunt, frankly. <laughs> it feels like a witch hunt. The guy just paid the biggest fine in history, and it seems like... It feels like a witch hunt, quite frankly. Isn't it weird, though, Maria, that whenever they go on a witch hunt in J.P. Morgan's bank, in the bank of Jamie Dimon... It, they find a real live fucking witch every time. <laughs> Pretty it's, successful witch hunt. Isn't that weird? It's like there's actual witches. Yeah. Okay. Here they're we go. constantly, you know, talking about uh, charges, and there's, you know, numbers that are mind-boggling in terms of settlements. Uh, that's sort of what sets the tone for for these negative oh, articles. Ab- she goes and finds. Crimes. She goes. Their fines are mind-boggling in terms of settlement. Meaning, like these guys are holes, making them pay such huge fines instead of yeah. wow, these guys are really committing malfeasance on a grand scale. <laughs> mm-hmm. She goes the other way. Mm-hmm. She goes these a-hole regulators who are fining them. These, ass- these fines set the tone they for set some tone negative articles for based some- on the fact that they broke the law. 
and have to pay billions. Of, that's a tone based on the fact that they screwed who, now, up. Now, who turns to her for financial news? Mm. Who? Who who's investing their money says, I got to turn on Maria Buttafuoco, who doesn't know her asshole from a hole in the ground, so I can make my decisions on investing. Nobody! I can't live a life running for my life. I will always want you. I came in like a wrecking ball. I never hit so hard in love. All I wanted was to break your walls. All you ever did was wreck me. Yeah, you, you wreck me. We talk about the influence of media ownership on news content often on this show. And while audiences might be aware that it happens, they might not realize quite how matter-of-fact it can be. The Cox Media Group is integrating its Dayton, Ohio holdings, merging the Dayton Daily News with a CBS TV affiliate and radio operations. And they're using the slogan, Come Together. And as media watcher Jim Romanesco reports, journalists like Cox editor Rashida Rawls know just what that means. Rawls sent a memo to the Daily News staff after the paper ran a review of the new fall TV season, which read in part, quote, The wire filler story on D2 of today's life section cast all of the TV networks, including CBS, in a negative light. Our news station, WHIO-TV, is a CBS affiliate station. We do not want to run any stories that cast our station in a negative light or even allude to it negatively. I know we're working really hard and very quickly to do the very best in selecting wire stories, but I wanted to bring this to our attention so that we can be more careful in selecting non-daily wire copy and in our editing and or selection of stories that contain references to CBS. Remember, we are better together. Close quote. Press for clarification, a Cox executive told Romanesco that you will see if you read our newspaper that we have routinely published critiques, pro and con, about all kinds of shows and networks. Naturally, as Romanesco notes, the question isn't about what the paper has done in the past, routinely or not, but about what the memo instructs them to do in the future. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Yes, uh, Matt wants to get to the stupidest question. <laughs> I mean, literally, this has to be, in my opinion, it has to be the stupidest. I mean, CNN's on the step of my turf. It's sort of embarrassing. It's, it's sort of embarrassing that this guy from CNN would ask this question. And I, I, for the life of me, you know, I've watched it a couple of times, and I've seen him sort of like, 
you know, try and like, you know, develop it, but it's almost like I've got nothing to ask you. And he does this question. You can almost hear him try and shift it slightly and blame it on somebody else in some ways. He says, like, you know, somebody, but this is the bar none stupidest question, at least of the week, by the Washington. And this is, this is CNN's chief Washington White House correspondent. You ready for this? Somebody obviously didn't want to do any reading about anything he could be asking the White House about. Go. Jim. Uh, picking up on uh, Peter's question about uh, Nelson Mandela, mm-hmm. uh, it just sort of struck me that uh, uh, you know, the president talked about uh, this great impact uh, that he had on his life, and uh, but he only met with Nelson Mandela one time face to face. I'm just curious for people who are wondering uh, if you could provide more details about uh, Nelson Mandela's influence on the president's life. Have you had a chance to talk to him about this? I know he made some comments about this mm-hmm. yesterday. People might just be wondering. Sure. They only met one one time, but well, I, I don't impact. think. I think. So there you have it, folks. Uh, the implication being, is Obama up to something here? Was he really influenced by Mandela? Because he only met with him one time. And as we know, no one knows the story of Nelson Mandela except for people who met with him. And there's no resources anywhere where you could hear a speech or know that story about, I mean, I never met with Mandela, so I have no idea how many years he spent in prison. In fact, I don't even know how I know he was in prison because I never met with the guy. So stupid. And then he tries to say, like, I'm, re- I'm really asking it for the other people who are wondering. Unbelievable. That's like a great new metric. It's like, do, do you feel influenced by Mandela? Like, no, you moron. I never met him. What's the matter with you? Why are you talking about President Lincoln? Or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, Senator Santorum, you're always talking about Jesus. You ever meet the dude? I did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right. It wouldn't work. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I speak with him every morning. Yes, he told me. Why don't you ask him yourself? He's standing right next to me. He told me that all the <laughs> all women who uh, want birth control are sluts. He told me that. Michael, I don't know if you could pull this off, but after listening to that CNN clip, can we get Mandela and Obama? <laughs> uh, you've influenced me very much. How could I have? You're only meeting me now. <laughs> the stupidest question I... <laughs> That's the most disingenuous <laughs> comment I've ever heard. You know my name? How do you know me? I do not know you, you big-haired, gawky bastard. I do not know you. Uh, well, at Occidental. What is Occidental College? <laughs> Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at Majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, 
and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm. This is this is the segment on Chris Matthews, uh, where where uh, he decided to deal with Ted Cruz. Who, by the way, I want to be clear as I'm as we're doing this segment that it's established beyond belief. I think Ted Cruz is a douche. Yes. Like, can we? Can, like, it, I, I want I wanted to be so clear because I don't want anyone to somehow come back and make it that uh, Elon likes Ted Cruz or defending Ted Cruz because I'm not. I'm, but I am. I do have a little bit of an issue with, with this particular segment, but I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll play it for you. Hold on, let, let me see if the clip actually works. Of course, uh, my computer is in fact freezing on the board, but I can make this happen. Here we go. Boom. Cruise out of control. Let's play hardball. Good evening, I'm Chris Matthews out in Chicago. Let me start tonight with this. It's a little weird, but is Chicago part of America? Is Philadelphia, my hometown where I'm going to address the National Constitution Center tomorrow? Is Philly part of America? Is L.A.? Is San Francisco? I feel like I can argue that Philly's not a part of America. But Oh, well. come on, really? <laughs> Random trolling of the wife. Dun, dun, dun. Go. Is Austin, Texas. The reason I'm asking this stupid question is because this partisan gunslinger, Ted Cruz, is out there today defining who is and who isn't an American. Remember Michelle Bachman asking the press on this show to conduct a person-to-person -person investigation of who in the U.S. Congress is anti-American while Cruz is worse. The same senator who suggested the nominee for defense secretary was taking money from the communists in North Korea now decrees what part of this country are in and which parts are out. Which parts are American and which parts aren't? This is McCarthyism writ large. Disagree with this guy and be prepared for the accusations. We are witnessing, I think, the greatest challenge to progressives, to moderates, and reasonable conservatives in modern memory. It's that's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of buildup, right? So, so whatever he's about to say is gonna be cray. It's gonna be cray. cray. It's gonna be about to be insane. Like you, you have not heard the shit that's about to go down because this is this is a challenge to. Progressives and, and reasonable conservatives, this is a thing, this is the biggest threat, right? What's about to happen? An indictment against the great majority of Americans. To compromise, he says, is bad. To support the law, he says, is wrong. To oppose his brand of right-wing politics is to stand accused by him of being un-American. Cruz returned to his supporters this weekend, where he got shouts of approval Saturday night from his most fervent backers. Here he is drawing the line between them and his fellow senators. And by the way, all the people represented in Washington. Having spent the past month up in D.C., it is really great to be back in America. <laughs> Howard Feynman, editorial director of the Huffington Post. And wait, wait, what, what else? What else happened? Are we? Are we just? We're just introducing guests. We haven't heard the whole clip, right? 
David Cornish, Washington bureau chief for Mother Jones. No. Both are both are of course MSNBC political analysts. Howard, this isn't a casual reference. This we're Americans, we white people out here in Texas, as opposed to people who live in the big cities, the ethnics, the blacks, the browns. Those people in Washington, those liberals, they're not Americans. This guy either has a total un lack of understanding of American history and the hell we went through in the McCarthy period, or he knows it damn well and is playing that card. What do you think it is? Knowledge well, Chris, or ignorance? No, no, I Order the latest blockbuster. What? 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 Okay. All right. So here's the thing about this, Dasha. Yeah. I actually agree that Republicans on a regular basis separate others that they consider others, i.e. people of color, uh, people uh, in, that don't uh, align with them uh, politically, a lot of times the big cities, stuff like that. I agree that they actually do try to other and separate them as not real Americans. But I'm not sure that 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 one line is the line that you can like, you can pull that like, see? This right, this, see? Because, because it's often said that Washington is disconnected from America. Like I believe a lot of I feel like a lot of uh, liberals and progressives say that Washington is disconnected from America. So that just seems like one of those things where they're just, it's it's how you stump back home. Now please note the people that are being really really excited about Ted Cruz I find problematic up and down. I yes. would not be able to trust them in any shape or form or fashion. No, but that's the line. That's the line that you had a sole segment built on, and then you went from that line to that speech. <laughs> In, in the, so I sit here, and this is this is a prime example of the one of those moments where I, I, I always talk about where I'm like I can I can absolutely agree with uh, your, your sentiment, and then think you think you're absolutely wrong. This is it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, part of me, part of me is actually like the words themselves. I've heard, but yes, the people have said that many many times before. But, I mean, folks have been saying that since. Washington DC was founded as the capital of the United States, right? Is that like unlike London, we separate our financial capital from our government, right? That was the whole thing. Like we wanted to make sure that those were those were somehow separate. Um and so but in doing that it like alienates the politics from the like the, you know, capitalist runnings of the country. But at the same time, I do take a little bit of a there's a little bit of alarm in Knowing the context of the kind of dog whistly racist stuff that's happened before and the, the magnitude of the applause that he got for that comment. So it's like I can kind of see it, but I, I also don't think that you can mm -hmm. just make an entire segment based off of that. It, it's too thin. <laughs> like it's not like that's just not it's too easy to argue against that. So it makes it so that when someone does say something that's flagrantly racist, you just are like Chris Matthews being an, a, like a racist and alarmist instead of actually calling it out. Because for me, there's so much that you can actually make the argument around, that you can actually make the argument of how they other the rest of America, how the other yeah. the other people of color. Like the fact is, like, like uh, black folks, uh, uh, I, I point out all the time that we aren't considered Americans half the time. Like we like we're we're American when it's when it's uh when it's convenient. Otherwise, we are we are we are barely a, a part of that, and so I the sentiment I actually agree with the that using that line as a and this proves every this everything all the rest of it is like sir because then once you do this everyone else like, the argument becomes about what you've just done yeah and not what 
the bigger issue is. Exactly. And so now the right wing immediately goes, ah, look at this, like this is this is the problem with them or whatever, and, and they will use this type of argument, and that's not because Cruz is such a problem. He is yeah. saying a lot of dumb, ignorant shit. <laughs> he is. If you want to rip Cruz a new one. Rip Cruz, Cruz a new one, but that line just like that line you go and, and see this is the thing and like, like and then and then start naming all the ethnics and so he's like wait oh wait hold on Are, is, is he speaking for us is he speaking for us now too <laughs> in that one like well, I, that's that's one of Chris Matthews' problems is that he's you know as the he's the crusading white man and so he he, he feels like he, he sometimes just goes a little bit like over yeah, he over the line and it's like sir you that's not that's this no you don't I mean, yeah I need to, I need him to save up all of that that anger and that vitriol for when it's valid because sometimes it's so valid sometimes it is so valid yeah, so, uh, so uh, the argument that argument is so real it's just not that is not so it's not like i almost feel like i should uh, reframe it and point out the fact that it's not so much that simply uh that that it's a it's a problematic statement uh but it's on top of it the fact that dude you can make this argument clearer because right now, of course, if you go online, uh, uh, the right wing, the right wing folks immediately went, went, went in on him. And somehow, in the midst of that argument, in the midst of that argument, a, uh, someone found their, their, I guess, got their groove back, Dasha. Uh, and they were, they were very, very proud of themselves because Uh-oh. once, once, uh, once Chris Matthews said that, then they could go at him. Yeah, right. Oh, God. Who was it? Who was it? <sighs> Is it a ghost from, from Republican crazy people past? Funny, funny you say that. Oh. Now let me show you. You're gonna laugh at what oh, Ted no. Cruz actually said to deserve this monologue, and they play it. This is how. This is how. So crazy the viewers are. At oh my MSNBC. God. How indoctrinated and how I mean, 1984 zombie-like. They are watching their fearless leaders. But listen exactly to what Ted Cruz says at the end. But more importantly, if you want to know why the left is terrified of Ted Cruz, listen, because Chris Matthews says it out loud. Because this partisan gunslinger, Ted Cruz, is out there today defining who is and who isn't an American. Remember Michelle Bachman asking the press on this show to conduct a person-to-person investigation of who in the U.S. Congress is anti-American, while Cruz is worse. The same senator who suggested the nominee for defense secretary was taking money from the communists in North Korea now decrees what part of this country are in and which parts are out. Which parts are American and which parts aren't? This is—that's quite a charge. Yeah. Have you heard Ted Cruz say this? <laughs> He's going to an example. This part of the country saying. is in. This part of the country is out. This part is American. Mm. This part is not American. And and remember, mm. it's McCarthy-like witch trials. So um, so Glenn Beck. <laughs> the voice of a nice little chunk of conservatism. And I say that because, please know, Glenn Beck, I, I, I point this out every time, Glenn Beck was making about $20 million a year while he was on uh, Fox News. When he got fired from Fox News and he started his whole Glenn Beck TV nonsense, he started making $97 million a year. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> really? 
and so um so 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 he has a, he has a nice little nice little chunk of conservatism that's uh that's floating in his boat right now and and of course they went on it because this and by the way there's other sites uh that were there but of course Glenn Beck had to had to jump on it because of the of the framing because I saw in the chat room uh, I believe uh, Patient C said that uh that there was more parts of the speech and that they had that they had that tone that Glenn, uh, that um, Chris Matthews spoke about uh that uh, but that just that was just one line they pulled out of it and that's my that's the problem if there, if there's parts of speech that can make that you can make that argument on. Play it. Yeah. Play, play. Like make that. Heck, I wouldn't even have. I wouldn't have a random people coming in to agree with me about how uh, problematic his statement was. I would just play all of the parts that were the problem, and go. So there's this, and then there's this, and then there's this. So that you make you. you, you, you know, the case. In the end, that is what we do. In the as media professionals, the idea is to build a case around what you're saying. So we say, boom. This thing is what this I'm I am making I am making the argument that this thing is true, and now it's my opinion that this is true. Like yes, I I now need to bring a bunch of facts to show why my opinion, my assessment of all this is in fact factual. And when you do this, it's just like so. Then you're just adding like, like listen, the right wing doesn't need any help. No, <laughs> they're gonna say things crazy, no. fucked up shit. And they're gonna say it. I love it when they say it, and it's not that, and it can't be argued in any shape, form, or fashion. That they're just being insane. It's like, really, you just took that, or you just went, you went off, you went off on it. That, that, that's not a good argument. This is really funny, Lewis. Fox News has finally decided to talk about McDonald's, but they decided not to talk about McDonald's and minimum wage or living wage issues, which are really, really important. Uh, not about McDonald's pretending to be a self-sufficient business while simultaneously suggesting to their employees that they should apply for food stamps or Medicaid. Not about whether fast food consumption is a good thing or a bad thing for health or whether McDonald's is creating dangerously unrealistic ideas of what is eating well, not about the problems with processed food. No, uh, Fox News's Cavuto show tweeted out, lucky enough to have a McDonald's serving the McRib in your town? Tweet us a picture with the location and we may share it on Fox News. Even if you're going to cover the McRib specifically, Lewis, talk about how it contains 70 ingredients, 34 in the bun, including chemicals like ammonium sulfate, polysorbate 80, and the terrible azadicarbonamide usually used to manufacture foamed plastics. Don't ask people to send in pictures of that disgusting McRib to then just promote the the consumption of this nonsense what great reporting lewis maybe we shouldn't be surprised 
since the ties between corporate media and fast food are pretty tight. Yeah, uh, Fox and McDonald's, I mean, uh, they're the same thing, David, aren't they? It, it's just amazing. Tweet us a picture of the McRib. Do one real story about the issues with McDonald's and similar companies. I'm begging you. Amazing. By the way, if you've had a McRib, let us know if you like it. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That McRib, Lewis, how can you have a McRib? It looks like there's bones in it, like it has the shape of, of ribs, rib meat on bones, but there are no bones. No, uh, I wonder if there are even any parts from any animal in it <laughs> at all. I encourage you to look up a picture of what the McRib looks like before it's cooked, like when it's just delivered frozen to McDonald's. Check it out. I think you'll find it very, very interesting. One question I get a lot from listeners has to do with how long it takes me to make an episode of Best of the Left. Well, between all the research, show prep, and actual editing, it comes out to around 20 hours of work for each one of the 10 episodes I make every month. Obviously, this is only possible because of the listeners who chip in a few bucks each month to make it happen, so if you appreciate this show and think it provides a valuable service, then please think about becoming a member at the $10 a month level. That's only a buck a show, after all. I've always believed in giving away the show for free so everyone can hear it without restrictions. So if you can afford 10 bucks a month, that covers yourself and several others who maybe can't afford to pay but who need to hear the show as much as anyone. As thanks, members also receive bonus content including extra voicemails, behind-the-scenes stories, and more of my personal musings. Thanks so much for your support. There's a well-established pattern in corporate media of pundits and journalists warning the Democratic Party not to veer too far to the left. So the December 1st headline in the Washington Post, Democratic Party feeling heat from a revived left, was not a shocker. The revived left is apparently pushing a few policy ideas, according to the Post, raising the minimum wage, increasing Wall Street regulations, and protecting Social Security from benefit cuts. Inevitably, the Post sees this as possible trouble. Quote, the push from the left carries political risks for Democrats, who could be accused of being reckless about the national debt or insensitive to the demands of business and economic growth. What's more, many Americans are uncomfortable with the notion of the government redistributing income far beyond what happens today in order to accomplish basic elements of the populist agenda. Liberal congressional or presidential candidates could pressure more moderate candidates to veer to the left, perhaps reducing their electability. Close quote. But all of these issues the Post is talking about are broadly popular with the general public, in some cases overwhelmingly so. As for the notion of redistributing income, if that means raising taxes on the rich, Americans are all for that too. The Post closes with a reference to a possible presidential campaign by Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Quote, although his chances would be slim at best, he could serve as an agitator who pulled other candidates to the left or as a potential spoiler if his campaign got off the ground, close quote. An agitator or a spoiler, which will it be? So show me family, all the blood that I will bleed. I don't know where I belong, I don't know where I went wrong. I can write a song, I belong with you, you belong with me. 
CBS is being forced to backtrack heavily after the criticism they received from their interview with uh, Dylan Wavies, also known as Morgan Jones, who was uh, a security officer that was involved, according to his initial words, uh, in the incident at Benghazi. Now, uh, they had that interview with him. He said that he had been there at the time, but in newer information is coming out implying heavily, and CBS's behavior seems to confirm that that might not have been the case. Uh, he had been working uh, for a security, uh, for Blue Mountain, which is a security company in the area. Now, after the incident, he filed an incident report implying that he had not been there, that he had been in his villa somewhere he nearby. Couldn't, he couldn't get there. It was too dangerous. He couldn't get, he there. Couldn't get to the site. Exactly. No, I, I, there's two important details that we can't leave out. One is it's a seaside villa. Please. <laughs> okay. Number two is he said he tried to get to the place, but there was too much traffic. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. Okay. I thought he said it was too much uh, shooting. No, no, he said roadblocks yeah, and no. traffic, and he couldn't get through. No, okay, yeah. so I like like ah, oh, these elite commandos in their seaside villa. It's like it's like oh, traffic. She's at the four or five. This time, you crazy? <laughs> no, 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 I got to go back home. So after that information came out, CBS was standing by their reporting, but then it came out that the FBI had apparently interviewed him, and that information apparently is causing him to backtrack more. So uh, Laura Logan uh, apologized. We have that. You know, the most important thing to every person at 60 Minutes is the truth. And today the truth is that we made a mistake. And that's, a, that's very disappointing for any journalist. It's very disappointing for me. Nobody likes to admit that they made a mistake. But if you do, you have to stand up and take responsibility and you have to say that you were wrong. And in this case, we were wrong. We made a mistake. We take the vetting of sources and stories very seriously at 60 Minutes, and we took it seriously in this case. But we were misled and, and we were wrong, and that's the important thing. That's what we have to say here. We have to set the record straight and take responsibility. So that's a great apology for the. I mean, it seems like they were misled in her defense. You guys see what's happening here? Operation Genoa. <laughs> totally. totally. News from <laughs> season two. Yeah, it just yeah. sounds exactly like it. Um, it was so strange. It just, it took, it's not a big deal. They did it. They took the piece down. I mean, the damage was done in running it in the first place, mm -hmm. which they shouldn't have done. But it was just so obvious right off the bat. The first time you read this, you're like, this is wrong. They got, yep. you know, and the degree to which the mainstream media is in the pocket and, I, and, and any conversation any conversation that we're all going to have with people on the right is just, it's so wrong, but the media, they are in the pocket. They are carrying water for the right again and again and again and again. This is just the same, this is like a two-year-old talking point, however yeah. old the story is. And this guy lied to, he said that he told the first lie, the incident report, which said he wasn't there, and then he said he lied about that because his supervisor told him not to go, and he did go, so he lied about that. Which He's sounds, such a hero. Right, which sounds a little crazy. But then his story, also his story was, yeah, and I got there on top of the wall. I, I used the butt of a rifle. I knocked a terrorist's head off, or whatever he said. <laughs> like, you know, it was just like, you just, what it I would have been like, really? No, and, yeah. No one can. No one doesn't tell no, that story. No, he's trying to sell books right off the bat, and then, of course, later, right, and then all the finally, the FBI was like, "Yeah, he told us that same first story." Yeah, that he told to Blue Mountain about how there was traffic and he had to stay at a seaside villa. By the way, there's so many. When he was at his villa, somebody comes by. He said he was there at the hospital with the ambassador. He, right, he saw the ambassador right, right. dead. And, and that it turns out the real story is he was in his villa. Somebody came and showed him a picture on a cell phone. Mm -hmm. Like, this guy's really Delta Force over here, right? <laughs> so, look, Ben and I have been doing news uh, for a long time together. The minute I read the first... Uh, account of this from the guy, that he had climbed uh, uh, the 12-foot wall 
and hit the guy with the butt of the rifle, I was like, bullshit, bullshit, <laughs> right? And I wanted, I thought of Ben because Ben, that's exactly the kind of thing you call <laughs> bullshit on. And I thought if we were doing this report in 60 minutes, that we would have been like, no way. No way, this isn't a freaking movie. You didn't, you know, climb the wall and hit the guy with the butt of the rifle, but nobody else ever saw it, and you're the only one over there. You decided to keep that little story to yourself? Until you wanted to write a book, and then it coincidentally matches a right wing talking point going on at the same exact time. There's no way that's, come on, you had to do better than that 60 minutes to not realize what kind of BS that was. And to, to be clear, we don't know for sure. Which story is true? They're not yeah, we saying. Do. Yeah, we do. We yeah. have. We have. We believe. On. Come on, no, Come I'm on. positive. <laughs> of course, we know what story is yeah. true. The first story he told is true. Okay. Nobody but I do that think quiet. that they issued- nobody does that. It doesn't tell anybody for a year. Especially uh-huh. the kind of guy who then writes a book, book about, about it. it. Right. That guy couldn't wait to tell people. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I believe it. I'm just saying this is the, the the actual situation. CBS is coming out with. They're going to to do a retraction. They're going to look into it. And then we'll know for sure. You'll probably be uh, confirmed in your beliefs. Yeah, and CBS isn't pulling the story after getting all that heat and sticking up to their story for all that time. Unless they knew. Unless they think, oh, damn it, we screwed up. And it's the, look. The, Why did CBS hire Jerry Dantana? <laughs> Another newsroom reference here. Go check out all of our reviews that the yeah. three of us did together with Alonzo. Well, I feel bad for them, though, because CBS has lost the trust of the people. I think it's time <laughs> for them to get it back. <laughs> okay. All right. So, look. I love that show. No, I, uh, okay. So, when CBS did the story about the Air National Guard uh, on Bush, the right wing believed that CBS was a liberal operation and they did it on purpose and it was a hatchet job and da da da. And so now, do we think that the CBS worked in cahoots with the Republican Party to do this and then not? No. But so, no. Now, I do believe exactly what Ben said, which is that they're so scared of the right wing and like this, we're going to make it up for the Air National Guard, we'll give you one, we'll give you one, right? And like they're like, they want to say, say, we're not partisan, we're not partisan. That Benghazi bullshit, we so, bought into Benghazi. So excited to find this Benghazi story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally, right? But, you know, so do, do the Republicans now come out and apologize and say, oh, no, no, 60 Minutes of CBS, it turns out they weren't liberal at all, right? No, they're not going to do that. No, and they'll keep using the guy's story. Yeah, this isn't the end of that story going around their circles. And, and they force Dan Rather to get fired, et cetera. Is anybody going to force to get anybody at 60 Minutes fired now or CBS fired now? I doubt it. I just, nothing is ever reciprocal, right? Uh, when, when, when they did the Air National Guard story, which, by the way, had a... I think a huge problem with one of the documents, and it was totally true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so this story is huge problem with one of the witnesses, and totally not true. Um, there, there won't be the same kind of reaction. I mean, it's good here that there was pressure. It's good that they retracted it and they said they're sorry about it. That's positive, but but there won't be a, a talking point across the memo, uh, across the media, I should say, about what Ben said, which is. Oh, like you think the mainstream media is not going to say, oh, look at the 60 minutes report. You see that? They're all conservative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can we just. They're not going to say that. I don't believe they have meetings where they're like, I think we're being, you know, like, I understand why we're. Hey, everybody, we're sensitive to being called liberals. And I get why we're sensitive to that. But let's not have our. Let's not be tricked. Like, let's not be gullible yeah. because of that. Let's not have our sensitivity blind us to the fact that we are getting used and abused politically. Yeah. Um, and they are again and again, and it, you know it happened after the Virginia governor's race, and it'll continue to happen, and it's happening on just about every Obamacare story. Um, and you know, I mean, that just that we look now to Chuck Todd and David Gregory as sort of the guys who are leading political coverage at major networks. It's, it's 
horseshit. It's horseshit. These guys are doing damage. I don't even, I don't even think they know they're doing damage. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So just a couple of quick notes before we get started. First of all, uh, Stitcher has an awards program. Who knew? Uh, Nominations are open open right now. The URL to get to it is not the simplest thing in the world. Just Google Stitcher Awards. You'll find it right away. And nominate Best of the Left for the News and Politics category. Um, Nominations are open right now. Go do it. It'll it'll help promote the show. It'll be uh, hugely appreciated. Secondly, uh, members content. I, I think I just did my favorite members content segment uh, ever. Keeping in mind, you get all of the back catalog of all the fun members stuff uh, that's been done, but the one that I just posted is this perfect combination of talking about a story involving the uh, very funny author David Sedaris, uh, the connection to Best of the Left, the, the story of when I found out that he's actually a fan of the show, who knew? And then it also ties in uh, the holiday seasons, Christmas, and racism. So uh, just a real perfect best of left mixed bag there. Uh, so, so check that out. Become a member to get that bonus content and, uh, and all the other stuff I've done, which has also been uh, excellent, according to I don't know, a couple of people have written in and say it was good. So I'll, I'll take their word for it. Uh, thirdly, uh, you know, right in the middle of December holiday shopping season, just remember that if you're going to be shopping on Amazon, uh, please use the best of the left link to do it. It, it. it helps. I promise you it helps more than you think it does. Even if it's a few cents here, a few cents there, it is the combination of everyone who takes the time to use that link and then bookmark it and use it, you know, for all of your shopping that you do through Amazon uh, that, that really makes a difference and, and makes the show uh, sustainable. Honestly, it, it's like it's the difference between sustainability and you know, just scraping by. So now continuing the the discussion on sort of trans issues 101, uh, the last episode I ended with sort of a discussion on the dispiriting difference between the way different people, uh, people of the trans community and then people of the cis community saw the original trans episode that I did, the, the way they understood it. Well, in response to my explanation uh, a couple episodes back of a person's gender and their assigned sex not having a causal link between the two, meaning that if you're born with a penis, it doesn't mean that your brain is going to, you know, experience the world as a man. It's, you know, your gender being in your head is not causally linked with your biology and your your assigned sex. So I uh, explained that and have gotten a, a response to that similarly dispiriting in the way uh, different people have uh, you know, ha- have responded to it. So uh, from those in the you know trans community and its very well-informed allies who have responded, uh, they've been universally positive. Uh, you know, everything from like, hey, like I was glad to hear Jay address those issues to, oh my God, that commentary was so great. I mean, really amazingly great. You nailed it. Someone should throw a parade in your honor. I don't think they said that, but, it, but really close. So it, generally positive. Now, keep in mind that just because people agree with me doesn't mean that I'm de facto correct. 
Um, that would be a logical fallacy, but it definitely makes me feel like I'm on the right track. However, I also got a couple of messages along the lines of this one from Dave in Nebraska. Hey, Jay, this is uh, Dave from Nebraska. Just got done um, listening to some of the responses to the uh, trans episode there. A lot of messiness there. I think you really stepped in it. Um, I think it maybe at this point might be the best just to sort of pull out and uh, change the topic or come back at it when there's a little more clarity. I think part of the problem is transgender is really an umbrella term that has undergone a fair amount of meaning, and there's not a lot of consensus of meaning. Uh, definitions, concepts were never really laid out, and so that ended up, I think, with sort of uh, in intellectual scattershot across some of the original uh, clips and the commentary based on that, um, including one of your comments that I, I just think you have to do something to correct. I think you stated that gender is wholly unrelated to biology, and I, I don't think you could find anything close to factual evidentiary support for that in the main um, academic fields that take these concepts seriously. So that was Dave from Nebraska. I also got a message sort of along those lines, but with some helpful scientific explanation. Uh, Hamish wrote in with this comment on the show's blog where he said, uh, there is a causal link between our genes and our sex assigned at birth. There is also a causal link between our genes and gender identity. Though this is not fully understood, there has been a lot of work done on the impact of sex hormone level and fetal brain development. So, since there is a causal link to the same genetic signature to both gender and sexual assignment, there is an indirect causal link between the two. Since the link between genetics and gender identity is not fully understood, likely a nature-nurture interaction, the indirect causal link is still a bit fuzzy, but to reduce it to a mere correlation is an oversimplification of the current scientific consensus. So in response to both of these, the fact that, you know, multiple people found what I said to be, you know, unconvincing or confusing tells me that I must have obviously oversimplified in an attempt to, to, to make things clear. But I don't think that what I was saying and what uh, Hamish is saying in this comment right here are in conflict with each other. So as he said, they share an indirect link because both are clearly related to a person's genes, hormone levels, fetal development. You know, they're related in a similar way that siblings are related. You know, my half-brother and I have the same mother, but neither he nor I caused the other to be the way we are. You know, sex and gender may share the same genes and fetal development, but can and do obviously develop independently in ways that are not fully understood. So this is what I meant from the very beginning. So if I oversimplified and confused people, then I'm sorry. To say that there is no connection of any kind between gender and assigned sex would be like saying that siblings often looking like each other was pure coincidence, which is obviously not true because, you know, genes. I think it's kind of a similar situation with sex and gender as best as we are able to understand it now, and which is why I was trying to sort of shift in the direction of them being recognized as independent, separate attributes of a person rather than muddy in the water with discussion of indirect causality between the two because it really seems to not be the case. Um, so, you know, obviously I want for people to ask these questions. If they have them, I, I will take the time needed to try to answer and explain what I can. But in a perfect world, what I would like for this conversation to mostly be is uh, trans people being given a chance to speak for themselves. So uh, with that confusion hopefully cleared up, I want to bring in another voice of someone in the trans community. 
Hi, my name is Isaac. I'm from Albany, New York. First, I want to tell you guys you did a very good job in covering trans issues on the recent episode. I just want to say one thing. There is one. There is something that could use a little more clarification. More. We need to get to the root of it, and we haven't really. And that is the question of choice versus nature. The thing is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I was born the way I am, or if I made a choice. I kind of did because I made the choice to accept who I am, and that's the thing. We all do. We all make a choice to become the kind of person that we want to be. We make these contracts, these negotiations with society, with everyone else, as far as we can, for our comfort and needs and theirs. What we're really saying, as trans people, is not just that the terms of this contract are unfair. But the language itself is too restrictive, much like legal language itself. The language has been defined by certain traditions that had no validity in the first place, and certainly have no more now. It has nothing to do with human nature, nothing to do with morality, and everything to do with fear. And that's what we're challenging. We always need to address the very root of the problem because you guys ask whether there's just an X factor for trans people or ignorance. As with any fear, it's a little of both because the X factor is developed by ignorance. We have to stop responding to our opponents' claims. We have to stop signing their contract. And write one in our own language, and that's the idea. The trans people are trying to push any of us, whether or not we subscribe to the gender binary or not. We're saying we need new language to describe who we are. So, thank you. And finally, I want to share some comments that came in by email. This is from Jojo, who is just beginning the transition from male to female, uh, who, who wanted to talk about just some of the sort of like basic uh, challenges that transgender people face. So uh, Jojo says, while discrimination is still widely prevalent, our largest concern is mainly employment, housing, and healthcare, or the lack thereof. In this day and age, it's still legal to be evicted, fired, or denied even the most basic healthcare just because someone is transgender. Even government-run safety nets have been known to discriminate in a similar fashion. In my opinion, healthcare is one of the biggest challenges the transgender community faces. Surgeries deemed medically necessary are often denied by insurance agents based on their own individual personal opinion rather than professional medical opinion. More often than not, nearly all surgeries and prescriptions are paid for completely out of pocket despite having health insurance. Often religion forces parents of transgender children to choose between their faith or their family, to reject their children and go to heaven, or to accept their child and receive excommunication. A terrible choice to be forced into and one that so often destroys families. If there was a message that I could pass on to anyone unfamiliar with transgender people and issues, it would be this. We are not sexual deviants or weird perverts. We are not fraudsters or con people. We aren't playing a game nor trying to trick anyone. We're normal people just like anyone else. We have 
dreams, aspirations, and goals like anyone else. We are productive and contributing members of society. We want to raise a family and climb the career ladder just like anyone else. We deserve to love and be loved as everyone else does. We are your brothers, your sisters, your fathers, your mothers, and your children. As always, please call in with your comments, the number 202-999-3991, or email me at jay at bestoftheleft.com. That's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash bestoftheleft. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter, and for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame how we get so trained We can't see past our own sad stories And wonder what we're missing We can't see past our own sad stories And forget how to listen We can't see past our own sad stories And wonder what we're doing can't see past our own sad stories and forget who it is before